but it's always a question. Are we moving towards something bigger or away from something that we need to face? And a lot of that is just, what's true here? What do I really need? And what am I bringing to this? Hello, welcome to On The Edge, a podcast about making unexpected connections everywhere and anywhere. My name is Roland Harwood. In each episode, we talk with someone who is making sense of our increasingly connected world. After the last two episodes about contagion in networks and complexity, crisis and change, we now wanted to explicitly focus on the emotional element of dealing with disruption and the psychology of uncertainty. Therefore, I'm very pleased to welcome Noelle Dye. She's co-founder of the strategy team at the legendary design firm Continuum, where she helped to co-create, amongst many other products and services, the Swiffer for Procter & Gamble, which is now a half a billion dollar brand in over 15 countries. And more recently, as a leadership coach, she has asked startup founders and executives the tough questions that need to be asked. In other words, she has spent her life guiding people through the fog of uncertainty. And so I wanted to talk about the psychology of uncertainty, given that we are all staring into the void of an unknown future right now in so many different ways. We talked about the emotional responses to uncertainty, how they manifest themselves into action or inaction, and we also discussed a variety of tactics for navigating uncertainty and turning it into something to be embraced. So I started out by asking her, why do we even need certainty in the first place? Enjoy. We need certainty because we need to know we're safe. Safety looks like a lot of things. It can be belonging. It can be about food. It can be about not being hurt or not losing your job, which is also about safety. About our loved ones being safe and the potential of losing them, and things changing. We need to know that things that we can count on are not going to change. Nothing ever stays the same. Nothing ever does. But we lull ourselves into the belief that it's always the same. We get, get up, we go to work, we come home. We get up, we go to work, we come home. And we don't notice that things are changing all the time. So when something like this happens with the pandemic, everything changes all at once. We tend to miss the changes in the rhythm of our day. But when something like this happens, all of a sudden, bam, we're hit by this huge wave of uncertainty. I'm just wondering what, how evolution has got us to this point that somehow we ignore change, even though it's happening all the time, sometimes more than others, but it is happening. I believe that we, as humans, we do know this. I'm not a psychologist, but I do know this through my coach training and and I see it in innovation as well. Humans are the only species that really creates meaning around everything. So we create meaning around the idea that we are safe. We also need to feel connected and we need to feel like we're growing. Humans like routine. And when our routine is broken, suddenly it hits us like a wave. Other things can happen in someone's personal life, right? A divorce, a death, a child being born, all kinds of things can disrupt our routine. What happens is we become negative and we go into problem solving immediately. As soon as things become uncertain, we try to solve it. 
and you're a designer, right? So you're a problem solver by background. Are you suggesting that that's the wrong response? It is, unless we have competency in the problem. So for example, if you're on a boat and it's sinking, you do want to go into problem solving mode. Ideally, you have competency in how to keep yourself from sinking. In the case of innovation, it is a problem that needs to be overcome in a team where the uncertainty of a new project can cause people to immediately jump to a conclusion. The problem with that being that people jump to the wrong answer by... We jump to conclusions. We, we start answering without even realizing what's needed yet. The mm. true value of going through the innovation process is about stepping back and just being with the discomfort to see what's really needed before you start to solve, to really look at the problem from the perspective of the customer and not from your own perspective, to be able to get away from your desk and really pay attention. It's difficult because it takes a while and I need that time to really understand what question we're asking and what the problem really is, what people really need. It's a very pervasive problem in the startup world where there's a solution looking for a customer. What do you do with the startups that you're working with or the, the people that you're coaching if they're yeah, jumping to solution mode too early or trying to problem solve when they haven't understood the problem that they're solving? So when we get into that shrunk perspective, what happens is it's a matter of going from shrinking our world and trying to solve and analyze or opening our minds and being creative and curious. Two very necessary modes of thinking. If we're in the beginning and we need to understand what the needs are, we need to be in that second state. We need to be in an open possibility perspective. And there are lots of ways of getting there. The first way is to ensure that we're in an excited mode instead of an afraid mode, right? We need to take our anxiety and turn it into excitement. That sounds like a difficult transition on the, on the surface. It can be. There are lots of ways of doing it. The, the difference between those two states is simply a perspective. Your body is reacting to what's happening and the physiology is telling you your heart is racing, cortisol is surging, and you're prepared for action. And that physiology turns into an emotion and then that turns into a feeling. You can feel the emotions and then those feelings spark thoughts and you either are afraid and anxious or you're excited. So you can actually cause the change by telling yourself, I'm excited. I prefer to take a team and put them into action because action actually also physically changes the way that your body is experiencing things. So the first thing to do is to act yourself. I call it acting yourself into passion for the problem versus acting yourself into passion for solving it. I mean, one of the stories I can share with you is that when we took on, you know, the most famous project I can talk about is the Swiffer work that we did at Continuum for Procter & Gamble. What was the question they wanted you to solve or what was the question they asked you at the beginning? They came to us and they said, we want you to innovate in the field of floor cleaning. And that's a huge, it's like boiling the ocean. So the night after we received the project, that night I asked everybody to go home and clean their floor and come back tomorrow. And sure enough, everybody went home, did their thing, do it exactly the way you always do it. Just notice what's happening. And we came back the next day and everybody was very excited because it was a horrific problem to solve. It was complicated. You know, some people just didn't do it. They came in the next morning and said, I didn't do it. it was too, it's too complicated. I don't want to, which is also a learning. And we got curious about what we experienced. We asked, what's true here? Instead of what 
is normal is first to shut down and say, yeah, that's just the way it is. I don't do it. But we actually sat down and said, what's true here? Now, there were times where I was completely also concerned about solving things and what are we going to do if we don't come up with something really brilliant here? There are many, many nights I've had at three o'clock in the morning waking up and saying, oh God, I need an answer. But it's always that process is to open myself up to that possibility. I wanted to ask you about the role of anger, but one of the emotions that people can experience when faced with uncertainty is to get angry. Not everybody. I don't think that's necessarily how I respond. But anyway, it might be. What is your response to uncertainty? I think my response is often kind of nausea or anxiety or, yeah, that kind of gnawing. So you feel it in your gut? Uh, Absolutely. 110% in my gut. So your response to that physiology, your response is to turn it into maybe shutting down? Well, uh, actually, I think a bit like what you said earlier, it's just to find the smallest possible step Mm -hmm. to move towards, you know, what feels like the right next thing to do. So to try something, because just sitting with my thoughts usually doesn't help. That's a great coping mechanism to start moving forward, right? Because by acting, we start to feel like we're moving towards something. Somebody else's reaction to that physiology, that nausea, can turn into a lack of control. If your response is to try to slowly move out of it, somebody else's response may be to take control. And if frustration grows and we can't take control, we can become angry. So anger, by the way, is a viable emotion. If it becomes too intense and not regulated, it can cause a lot of damage. A lot of people are afraid of that kind of anger. Anger is an emotion that creates change. How do you do that, though? How do you get somebody who's maybe fearful of the unknown into an excited state? I I have a story that goes with that one that when my son was four, and it was my husband's birthday, and for his birthday, I took him to an amusement park, Six Flags. And we started the day, and there was nobody there because we got there early. And my son had never been on a ride before because it was my husband's birthday. He said, the two of you need to go on that kiddie roller coaster over there. And they get on the roller coaster. And the whole time they're on the ride, I could see the look on my son's face. He was so frightened. And my husband was so angry. <laughs> like, what the heck were you thinking? This is such a bad idea. Because my son was freaked out. And my husband was like, what were you thinking? And they get off the ride and he's ready to tell me, that's it, we're going home. And I said, time to go again. <laughs> I said, what? You know, they were like, what? And I said, again. Just go again. And they got back on. And I just looked at my husband and said, trust me on this. I, I believe it. Right. And they went around and he was a little less nervous. And then by the third time, his hands were in the air. Definitely turned his anxiety into excitement on that one. <laughs> he had to learn that he was safe and that it was okay. I learned in that moment that I needed to have a look of smiles on my face, you know, because when he was first afraid, I got very concerned and probably got more concerned. And the next time I was smiling, going, yay, it's good. Uh, you know, the reaction, counterintuitive in so many ways, just to go again, go again. even though it was awful last time, <laughs> it's not letting it defeat you. You said something earlier about letting go, the need to let go of an old certainty before embracing that, the unknown. Can you say a bit more about that process? Because that 
feels right to me, but it also feels incredibly difficult to do. The, it's the thing I see the most in letting go right now is in my coaching process of, of cl- with my clients who are, who are thinking they need to take on a new job because they've just had it with where they are. And the question is always, is it time to go or is it time for us to look at you? You know, do you need to go somewhere new where you think there's going to be an opportunity for a possibility? Or is it time for us to look at what you need to let go of inside yourself? And that's a really hard process to go through. It's a place that we have to go carefully, but it's always a question. Are we moving towards something bigger or away from something that we need to face? And a lot of that is just, what's true here? What do I really need? And what am I bringing to this? Because if I'm in that shut down, shrinking, constantly analyzing, constantly trying to solve the problem mentality, I I need to stop and look at what I'm hanging on to. And the truth is, because change is here, we're going to need to let go of some things. I mean, I remember my mother-in-law saying to me once when I was leaving a job and it was a very emotional time and it was, you know, I I was trying to get out and it was time for me to go because I had, I just needed to get out. (laughs) She said to me, one of the worst things about life is that um, younger people cannot really hear the experience from older people because it's just my experience. I'm sharing my experience with you and you can't hear it. You have no experience with it. And it's, it's really strange that humans can't gain that from each other. They can't gain from somebody else's wisdom. We say we can, but the truth is we need to experience it ourselves. And she said, I promise you at the other side of this, when things settle down, it'll seem like a blip in time. And it was brilliant um, advice from her because she was absolutely right. In a few months, everything was fine. And I had let go of who I was in that role. I'd let go of everything about that experience and I was in a new space and suddenly everything was fine and I could look back on it and say it was just a flip in time and I'm good now and that that experience with that that direct experience helped me to see that I could get through things like that and that's what I meant about my parents experience with World War II they were young adults and everything was uncertain during that time everything was. They'd lost everything. And they met, they got married in the face of everybody telling them not to because you just didn't know what was going to be happening. They got married very quickly and very quickly settled down and into the 1950s and had this idyllic life. Those people, my parents raised us, my sister and my brothers and I, to be resilient. I keep wondering what, what their perspective would be during a pandemic. I just know that my mother would say to me, we have to keep going. It was something that she said to me quite often when we were, when I was a kid was look, you can cry, take my hand. I'm here with you and we're going to keep going. (laughs) Yeah. And that resilience I I think came from direct experience of not having anything or not knowing what was going to happen. I think this generation of young people, my son is 22. He's living through this. He will have that as well. He'll get to the other side because there is light at the end of the tunnel. We will figure this out. I have no doubt. I hope that we figure it out in a way that preserves the goodness of being human, maintains our freedom, maintains our ability to connect and get together in other ways besides using technology. I mean, there's nothing like a large crowd of people 
celebrating something together. I, my hope is that we can find ways of doing that without making it too constrained. And this generation will do that because they will remember what it was like a few months ago. I really like that. I think I want to push us one step further to amplify the goodness, not just kind of preserve the goodness, but sort of find find the bits we want to keep and grow those. Uh, and maybe it's an opportunity to redesign or rethink the things that aren't working I just want to go back briefly to something that you said about not being able to learn from other people's experience. Mm. Um, so does that mean studying history is pointless? You know, how can we learn, <laughs> how can we learn from, you know, history or other people's history? Are we just destined to repeat the same mistakes again and again? Well, it's been said many times, right? History does repeat itself. In my own life, I can look back and see things that are repeating themselves because a new generation is coming up and they're, they're not seeing what came before. This generation is definitely going to change things. This, I think I have faith that the pandemic is going to shift the way that we are economically around the world. I love what's happening in the science community right now where the information sharing and there's incredible collaboration going on, which is in direct, um, almost an epic op opposition to the way that governments are, are almost treating each other with piracy, right? People are stealing masks and all kinds of things are happening and shutting off resources to one another. And yet the scientific community is saying, let's solve this together. And my hope is that that is where we will go in the future, that the positive pieces will come in and play rather than the negative ones. And there'll be a little bit of both. I mean, 9-11 caused the whole world to get very security conscious so it's frustrating that we lost that freedom, but I also know we gained a lot too. There's more safety and I want that freedom to maintain. I want it to, I'm, my, my fear is that we will lose some of the closeness that we have when we get together in large groups and travel to other places in the world and open our perspective when we get there. I'm afraid we're going to lose some of that, but I also think there's going to be some great opening to spending more time together because everybody's doing that right now. And I believe this generation will maintain that. I mean, my, my son is desperate to be around other kids. He's just desperate for it. And yet he's connecting to people all day long. I'm, I've really been um, surprised in myself how much I've missed just spending time with real people, you know, other than my family. I feel lucky in many ways having quite a large family, having three children. Mm -hmm. So I have quite a lot of social interaction already i can't imagine what it must be like living alone right now but i just really miss the company of people and i'm not entirely sure what it is but it's just yeah this <laughs> as wonderful as zoom and things are it's just not the same when it when it comes to uncertainty so you know fear is infectious mm -hmm. kind of this herd mentality positive or negative in terms of when we're in a crowd of people or a group of people whether it's in person or online how does some of that stuff, a lot of what we talked about is our sort of individual response to uncertainty, but what about the kind of group response? Well, we do know that emotion is contagious, right? That you can feel it. You can, you, you can feel it when you know, I'm sure you've had this experience where you walk into a room and there's, and there's a group of people and no one's saying anything. You can feel it. You know, something was just going on. 
And the question is, can you stop and say, hey, this feels like this. What's going on here? And then somebody might actually break the tension and lean into it with you. That, that is happening all the time when we're in each other's presence. I do wonder if by using technology, if we're missing that, like you and I are not in the same room, so we can't really pick up on each other's emotions. Although in my coaching, which is almost all on the phone, I am practicing that kind of listening to see if I can't feel it. But it is hard for us to be around each other. I mean, separated from each other because we can't feel that all the time, that sense of emotion. But what happens in, to get to your question about what happens in a case of uncertainty is that if there's enough anxiety in the room, it can be contagious and everybody can become anxious. And it's up to a leader to be able to calm that anxiety and turn it around. It's a bit of what the queen was doing, was sharing her own emotion. She was very poised and she, she created an emotion in everybody around her who saw her speech, including me. I watched it and I felt so good afterwards. Whereas, you know, you see other politicians who are creating fear in people. They're crea- and then that becomes contagious and everybody starts to become fearful. And if we are careful, a, a true leadership right now is really about sharing our own experiences, stopping and saying, you know, yeah, it's hard for me to sleep. I'm really struggling with this too. And yet here's the possibility and creating that positive emotion so we can go forward. So how do we do that with the COVID crisis? How do we act our way into passion when you, we don't know what is the right or the wrong action right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, I tried to do it by getting involved in the, in the PPE problem, personal protective equipment. The healthcare workers need to have masks and, and gowns and screens and everything that they need gloves to wear. And there was a shortage. You know, I just wanted to sort of apply myself as best as I could to help get some equipment here in Massachusetts locally, because I, I work in a with a group in Oregon, but I wanted to work here. What I saw happening, you know, I got involved in a couple of projects. What I saw happening was there was a lot of problem solving without really understanding what was needed. And then I realized this is all anxiety. Everybody's trying to apply themselves because we need a purpose, which is great. What's my best use of me? So what I did was I started to coach people. I started to volunteer to coach people and I acted myself into passion for their experience and what I saw is where I can apply myself, what they really needed more than anything was a way to process their emotions, a way to someplace who was, where someone was just going to listen. Just and being really heard. Just yes, being really, being heard, really is- heard and saying, yes, you're doing the right thing. Don't be, yes, because people are wondering, am I doing the right thing? You're doing the right thing. Go for it. And that is the way I could apply myself best. Otherwise, I was just one more voice screaming in the mix of, very smart people coming up with solutions. And we've gotten there a few weeks from, you know, hence, I can see it now that we've gotten there. There are lots of things being shipped and created and manufactured. And so the right places, the people with the right resources could apply themselves there. I applied my resources of listening and being there for people. One thing that I think is really interesting at the moment is experts are having a renaissance after a tough few years where expertise has been mm. challenged in the media and by politicians etc but now we're relying on epidemiologists and other people to tell us 
what to do and what not to do. But at the same time, coming back to the theme of this podcast, there's something about knowing your domain of experience and expertise versus just saying, I don't know what to do from a position of strength rather than a position of weakness. So even that one sentence, I don't know, can be interpreted incredibly differently depending on how it's said and to whom it's said. I'm so looking forward to the scientists coming back and being respected because scientists are the ultimate creative, creative people. They put themselves constantly in a state of failure so that they can learn what doesn't work and what does. And they do that over and over and over again so that their competence is deep, so that they are somebody that you can call on when the ship is sinking because they can stop. And you see it happening with the search for a vaccine right now. And I love what's happening. All of the bureaucracy is sort of falling away. People are talking about how they're not worrying about publishing papers and getting credit and doing all those things right now. It's much more about here's the information. We need to solve this. We need to focus on what really matters here, which is that people are dying and we want to keep them from dying. And their expertise from having done that over and over and over again is respected. Instead of someone just coming in and saying, here's what the answer is. You see it happening with their president saying that in the US saying that, you know, this drug is good and we don't know if it is. We do need a scientific process to determine whether or not it's good. It's, it's instilling fear and causing people to jump to conclusions and try to solve the problem versus sitting back and saying, what's really needed and let's do this in a way that makes sense. Yes, we're in, in a hurry. We need to get this quickly. And they are moving fast, but they're also taking the time to stop and say, what's really needed here and what information do we have? We're also being forced through being stuck at home to slow down. I don't know about you, but I'm sleeping more. I'm part of my world is definitely slowing down. Is that an opportunity to recharge before we go again? We need to recuperate. And what a wonderful opportunity for the whole world or those of us who are not sick and not working right now, but are not on the front lines of being in um, healthcare. It's such a great time to slow down and find out who we are and rest mm. in a positive way though. And that's hard to do. And then I think mm. one of the reactions is to, lean into those things that distract our thinking the jigsaw puzzles and video games which can be fun it's also a possibility of overdoing it and getting lost and not mm. really recuperating we've only got a few minutes left i'm kind of curious and this is quite a dark topic but i've heard a few people talking about grief is what mm. collectively we are experiencing do you agree what what are your thoughts on on that as an idea somehow that we're collectively going through. Yeah, we are going through, philosophically, we're going through death in many ways right now, actual physical death and existential death. Like what does my life mean? Why am I here? Right, as well as the death of what our family life looks like, your friends experience, the death of my ability to support my family, um, you know, there's a lot of small deaths and large deaths right now. So absolutely, grief is big. Whenever mm. we have to let go of the past, grief creeps, creeps in. And we're going to be all of the stages, all at once. <laughs> Everybody's going to go through it in different ways. There's probably a lot of parallels rolling to the, the four emotions, you know, denial. What are they? Denial, anger, 
forget the last one. But acceptance, I think, is the last one. But yeah, those are probably all the stages of of uncertainty too, of dealing with uncertainty. Mm. Very related. Wow, nice tie. If people are curious to find out a bit more about you or the things that you're working on, where should people go to find out more? I keep a very low profile. I am on LinkedIn under Noel Dye. I am a leadership coach to executives and emerging leaders. I love to work with young people. I keep half my business open in that business for young people because they keep me on my toes plus they're fascinating and executives who want to be more creative and create more creative cultures. I also work as an advisor to companies who are interested in in understanding product market fit and go deep on that to really understand their customers and what their needs are. And I am also involved in my own projects. You know that as ElderX. ElderX is my passion project because we're not dead yet. The concept there is that we very quickly fall off the cliff as we age and become a cost to the system and that shrinks our worlds and I'm interested in, in not allowing that to happen or helping people to stay viable for until they're dead. So yeah, and the insight that you shared was elderly has lots of negative connotations, but elder yeah. is... That's how I got here. Elder is, is a wise person who can share their wisdom with you. If you add those two little letters to the word elderly, it's a person who is frail and incapable of sharing their wisdom with you. Thanks again to Noelle for sharing her experience and wisdom. I really like the simplicity and depth of the insights that when faced with uncertainty, we just need to go again because we're not dead yet. And there was something about the tone of the conversation and the weaving of the different stories that she told that I found incredibly reassuring and grounding. And I hope you found it insightful and helpful as well. There are a few links in the notes that go with this episode if you want to find out more about Noelle and some of the things we talked about. Before we go, please can I ask that you rate, comment and subscribe to this podcast podcast and also share the episode with others who you think might like it too. This will encourage us to keep on making new connections and to find more interesting people to talk to and to share those conversations with you. This podcast was brought to you by Liminal, a collective intelligence community focused on addressing the most complex and collaborative challenges of our increasingly connected world. You can find out more about us at weareliminal.co. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, please keep on connecting people and ideas. If you do, you never know what might happen. Thank you and goodbye.